What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Brandon Steinekert. Brandon was a massive part of my childhood as a founding member of the band The Used, specifically the first two records for which he played drums and had a major role in the songwriting. For the last decade, Brandon has been the drummer for Rancid, so he's a legend playing with legends. And I was uniquely excited about this one, so I hope you enjoy my chat with Brandon Steinecker about the five records that shaped him into the player he is today. But, of course, on the day where I was really pumped to chat with a certain drummer, my computer decided to be a little crabby, and so I had to resort to the Zoom audio for this one. It's not bad, I just wanted you to know that I know. Regardless, Brandon, throughout the whole thing, was a trooper, and it showed how patient he is and how kind he is and he was great so thank you so much brandon and hopefully it's all seamless and you don't even realize anyways cheers it's Brandon, so I am so excited to have you on the show because I am such a massive fan. Those first two, I know you're not in the band anymore, but the first two, the used records are such a big part of my growing up. And I'm excited to hear about what the hell influenced you. And you're doing great things in Rancid today. So you just keep on trucking, which I love. But uh, yeah, let's get into it, man. That means a lot. Thank you. Honestly, those are what rep they reflect me creatively. My best friend Quinn and I, we wrote all the music on those first two records. You know, it was like our bass player was really just starting to play bass. So he was just kind of trying to keep up and figure things out. And we just let him do his thing. And Quinn and I wrote and we struggled to get our singer to show up, you know. And so those records were really a reflection of, of Quinn Allman and I and what we can do together. And and I'm still so proud of those albums today because they truly represent what I can do and, and my creativity and my art, you know, not to sound pretentious, but it's just like, if this is an art medium, this is my art and that reflects it the most. And then on the flip side of that same coin, which is my drumming career, you've got what I do in Rancid. And to me, it was like Rancid was one of my favorite bands before I joined the band. They had a very, very established sound. And I remember that was a really tricky gig to land in the way that I, as a fan, took the approach like, look, I, I, this band means a lot to me. If some other guy joined the band and just overplayed and just fucked up this sound that I love, I'd be really bummed, you know? And, but it was also like, but I'd be bummed if some guy came in and just 
made no presence for himself at all. And so I really tried to just like not be out of the way, but do what the song needs and just lay a foundation, you know? And so I try to be selfless about it. But in the end, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I play like four drum beats in this band, you know, <laughs> it's like there's eight different fills and four different beats. And, and it's like, it doesn't reflect me creatively, but I give a hundred percent to these four beats, you know, and, and I, I'm very grateful that I get to do what I get to do and, and that I get to be in Rancid. And so it's certainly not a lack of appreciation. It's more respecting the process and respecting the band and not wanting to fuck it up for fans like myself, who this sound that was very established meant a lot. So anyway, long-winded uh, answer there, but I, I think in the end, like the compliments about the use still mean the most to me where to me, if someone compliments Rancid, I feel like it's relatable. I'm like, they're like, I love Rancid. I'm like, me too, rad, right? Like, yeah, I mean, awesome band. But rather than like me be like, oh, thank you. That re represents me. It's like, no, this was a band. Like these guys were legends when I was in high school and barely starting to play drums, you know? And so I can't take credit for that. I don't take that as a compliment towards me and my work. But when I hear people that love the first two used records I wrote and played on and put my heart into that, that means the world to me, you know? And so, so it's cool. You know, I, I love that stuff. Do you, do you ever put them on and rock out to them and play along to them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes me so happy I, to hear. Yeah. I love it. I love it. There was a, there was a, a buddy I had here that was, um, he was in town. Like I, I live in like the Southern part of my state, um, in Utah and they do a lot of triathlons here and stuff. Um, long story short, a, a guy I befriended who was here with some friends, um, this tri triathlon athlete, um, was a massive used fan and was just like, dude, is there any way you would play blue and yellow for me? <laughs> I was like, I, you know what? Sure. You know, it was like one of those things, like, I was like, I don't know that I've ever done something like this for someone. I'm believe it or not. I'm very uncomfortable playing drums in front of people. Like, I'm just not that guy. If you have me sit down and ask me to play, I'm like a rolly pulley you just touched. I'm going to ball up and like <laughs> yeah. roll around on the ground. You know Ditto, I mean? man. Ditto. Like, get me with my band and on stage and fuck yeah. Like, I'll go, I'll go ape shit. But like, you're not going to hear me do drum solos. You're not going to hear me like, I'm just not that guy. But um, for some reason, I, it just sounded fun to me. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So I brought him out here, gave him some headphones, and I just put it on my phone and we were both, you know, and I hadn't played the song in a minute, you know, but I just played through the whole thing and a handful of my friends were in here and we had a blast. It's actually really fun. I've considered doing some videos, like playing through some of those old songs because they really mean a lot to me. And I'd, I'd love to just throw a GoPro up or something and, and make some videos and post them or something, you know? Oh dude, that would make so many drummers happy. You have to do that. All right, and I know you just said you're not a drummer's drummer, which I'm not either, especially when it comes to gear. But uh, if you could get nerdy for a second, what was the, if you remember, what was the snare drum you used for that first used record? It is, this sounds so I'm amazing. pretty positive that was a, well, we did a little bit. We did a lot, was a Pearl Free Floating brass, and then we had another brass snare in there that wasn't anything special. But the, the ironic thing is, I don't know, a lot of people have seen like our little home videos, like D 
DVD we put out, the Maybe Memories DVD, that will show clips like in the room we recorded. And it was smaller than the room I'm in right now, which is not large. It was a, a very small bedroom in John Feldman's house in Marina del Rey. And he had like a desk with his, con- like not even a console, a desk with an iMac on it. Um, a handful of compressors is all. And this Pearl export kit right behind him, like from me to this drum set. And I was just, you know, it was facing him, but I was playing everything right there. Our only like room mic was an SM57 that was 12 feet down the hall in this little half bathroom that had a shower in it. And that shower mic, he just put a mic in there and, and compressed the hell out of it. And that was our room mic. You know, and so because of that, we were actually had pretty shit tones, but he had like, what was a drum doctor, like sound replacement stuff. And he'd 50, 50, like this specific snare that I've actually got that file, but he's got this snare that we'd go 50, 50 with the real tone and this tone that would match the wave and all that stuff and, and be exactly what I played, but add this crack from this snare. Like it was, had this awesome attack and like a little bit of high ring. And the beauty of that sound replacement thing and it being like 50 50 if that you know it was just in there enough but it made it cut through the mix without necessarily being louder um which was which was great that's where he sold me on it because i was like wait sound replacer that sounds like i'm going to be playing v drums practically like i don't want to i want to hear the drums i'm playing you know and i wasn't quite up to the technology at the time because pro tools and all of this stuff i mean we're talking 2002 and some of this stuff was very early stages, and I was very weary of anything that wasn't organic. Where I just wanted an organic record. I wanted raw tones. I wanted it to be just raw, in your face, honest. You know, like be detective and shit like that. It's like, well, hang on. Like, well, you you can do what to drums? Like, no, just get the take right. <laughs> you know, like. And it was like my whole thing to him was like, if you beat detective something that I played, I don't want to be able to hear the difference. You know, like if I've played it well enough to be on the record and you go in and edit it or something, I don't want to be able to like, whoa, I sound a lot better, you know? And so I was just really weary of, of the technology and these things because I didn't realize at the time that that stuff existed and it felt like cheating to me. And so there was this 50 hertz kick drum sound that we did 50-50 and I've still got that file too. It's an awesome kick. Those two alone don't sound that rad. But when you 50-50 them with whatever tones you're getting out of a kit, they sound pretty awesome. And and that was where we got these like rad tones that ended up like, you know, I was like, crank the overheads, you know, crank the room mic. Like I want it to sound like a room. I want it to have like this fucking live sound. And like, you know, I always love that rage tone of drums where it's just like kind of that bit of a bottom feel you know and 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 so i was just trying to go for that where he was going for polished pro tools modern and that middle ground was where we landed you know so it's quite polished it does sound like pro tools to me you know if i was running things it would have sounded a little more live but i was very happy with like the performances and things like that and knowing that like all right we made these drums sound great to the microphones before you added any sound replacement stuff. And I made sure my performances were on point so that none of us could tell if it had been beat detected at all, which I don't know how much stuff was done because I couldn't tell, which was great. 
Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye well, you are great because you've just made an amazing segue for me with your first choice. And this is also a record where the band was hoping that it would be a little less polished, but it still went on to be wildly successful. So it is Nirvana's Nevermind came out in 1991. The key track that you're going to talk about is Territorial Pissings and Dave Grohl on the drums. So take it away. Yeah, I, I just remember the first time I heard, I, I think for a lot of people roughly my age, but... The first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit was just like, what the fuck? You got to know, you know, it, picture me being this like small town Utah kid, grew up in a very conservative Mormon family that didn't have music in our household at all. But meanwhile, I had been this kind of troubled kid, like skater, like, you know, outcast since I was 12 that just started going against the grain and had a lot of piss and vinegar in me, you know? And so I was just kind of searching for my people and i found that in skateboarding and i found like where i felt like i belonged but there started to become a soundtrack to that thanks to skate videos and things like that and i was being exposed to a lot of incredible music but this was late 80s at the time and it was like a lot of that music didn't really do it for me but it was just a cool soundtrack to what i loved and then you know when we got into the early 90s i remember hearing smells like teen spirit the first time and it was just like what the fuck like him screaming a denial over and over at the end and i was just like how is this how am i hearing this on the radio this is like the fucking greatest thing and look at these guys you see the video and you're like they fucking look like me and my friends like this is amazing and it, it just resonated so hard with me i hadn't even ever thought about playing music or nothing like that i'd never played an instrument in my life you know and then by the time I was playing in my first band, 
we'd fuck with territorial pissings a lot and play that as a cover song because it was like everything about the energy of that song that drum roll at the beginning i mean when you're like a fresh drummer just to even play that drum fill was the hardest thing it seemed like but yet everything was like within reach it wasn't this like overwhelming unachievable drumming and all of nevermind to me was such a an example for every instrument of just like you know what don't worry about it just play have fun because it was like listen to these chords listen to these you know the verse it's two notes on guitar like with your finger on the first fret it's the easiest shit that like we all learn to play whatever instrument we play and you learn that right away because it makes you feel like you get to play the songs of a great band and it just made things feel achievable but what it put emphasis on was songwriting not individual talent and to me that was like because that was my first impression to music was like yo this is about the whole not the individuals and it, while dave grohl was incredible he wasn't just like doing fucking solos behind these like simple songs he was doing exactly what the song needed and just something as wild and ferocious as territorial pissings and just how fucking like kurt's vocal on that everything about that song was just like yes like how are you not so fucking fired up when you hear that song like and again it felt achievable and that's inspiring you know it's like i, I don't know listen to some overplayed stuff might not have inspired me to pick up an instrument because I would be like, yeah, no, that's a million miles away from me and I could never do that. But I, to quote, this is probably in, inaccurate, but I, I feel like I heard a Dave Grohl quote where he mentioned something along the lines of like, he writes drums for air drummers. And I don't know if that's even true or a, a real Dave Grohl quote, but I loved that idea because you don't have to be a drummer to be driving on the street and want to be tapping drum beats, listening to any song on Nevermind, you know, any Nirvana song for that matter. So that was just a big, that record, that band, that just opened a door of, of possibilities that, um, and then it was just so fun covering that song with my early bands. And honestly, I would even, we'd even cover that song with me on guitar. I wouldn't even be playing drums on that song, you know? So, but it was still just so fun. The first show I ever played we actually played Heart Shaped Box. They were just like such a great band. So I had to pick that album because that was the staple. And, and that song to me stood out the most for sure as just something that, that really blew my mind, you know? I love that. Of all the people that have brought up that record, I thought that was that's the best way to describe it. Approachable, focused on the song. Um, it just started you off on a right path from the get-go. Yeah. And it was also absolutely. just cool. Exactly. But it changed what cool was, right? Like it gave us a new version. Even that was achievable. Because what are you looking at before that? I didn't even listen to like 80s, like hair metal or you know, whatever. But all of that was so like, so theatrical and so much glam and whatever to it that it was just like, yeah, I don't even know where you buy clothes like these people. And I don't know. what I don't know anybody like any of this shit. Like, I don't know. This isn't relatable to me, you know? And when they came out, it was like, fuck, these are just like skater punk kids. Like this is, you know, it's like grunge, are we calling it? Okay, whatever. That's cool. They just seem like normal people. That's what's cool. You know, like, I love that. Love that. All right, here is Territorial Pissings. Come on! 
So number two, Rage Against the Machine. The album is Rage Against the, Machi the Machine, and the release here is 1992, and the key track is Killing in the Name of. That song makes me want to just <laughs> go to war. And, uh, and yeah, right? Brad Wilk is the drummer. So uh, when did this come into your life and, and all that jazz? Man, like right when this record came out, and I remember I, I still have the clipping from Thrasher Magazine of like these guys playing the smallest show and the smallest like blurb right up about them. And I still have that like and and I was just I was a super fan the minute I heard him. And this was the first song I had heard. I could not believe the lyrics, like both the political message and and importance, which that didn't exist in my life at the time. It was like I didn't know anything about politics and stuff. This was just like eye opening in so many ways in such important ways, one of the most important records of my lifetime, I dare say. And it kind of pulled the blinders back for a lot of us, it, like at least Gen Xers, you know? It, it was like, wait a minute, there's some fucking shit we need to be aware of and we need to be paying attention. And, and not only that, revert to simply the music, like the lyrical content, the fact that it says, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Oh my God, like as a conservative small town kid that was being forced to raise be raised Mormon and in these fucking shitty schools. That one line was like the most powerful thing on earth to me. That was like my motto. Like I wanted to carry it around on a sign, you know, and, and it just made me feel like, fuck yeah, there's people out there with like this same attitude and angst I feel. And it's, and I see how they directed at things that can make a difference and, fucking stand for something and you know what i mean the integrity behind it not just bratty kids like yeah like it was like no this is not just being a fucking jerk this is like a real fight and really standing for something and so musically this band was all of those things to me but then drumming wise this is like the time i was really starting to play i just remember like literally like between nevermind and rage against machine these albums were my drum teacher, like playing along to these records, because again, the same aspects that I love about Dave's drumming on Nevermind, I loved about Brad's on the self-titled because he was playing things that were achievable or so they seemed, you know, what my untrained ear was thinking I was hearing was like, I could play that. I think I could play that. And it's like, you know, you're just playing this dun dun banana. Na, 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 na. it was just fucking like yeah but it's just like the most basic beat but it said so much by saying less you know or by doing less and that again just shaped so much of like the songwriter drummer in me where to me i've always been like maybe that's a silly way to put it but i've always claimed myself to be like a songwriter drummer more than a drummer drummer because i just don't care about how rad it makes me look. I want to write good song. And that means lending to a vibe, lending to a vocal, lending to a melody without overplaying. I feel like you could hear some of the soul, R&B, funk, some of the influences that I feel like Brad had and the things I've heard he had. I feel like you hear that a lot. And he was also the first drummer I heard that was using any kind of percussion. I remember simply those cowbells that I, I believe it was on, um, you hear him at the beginning of um, Killing in the Name, you know, just that, 
it's like it was like whoa what's that like, we can get toys too like i want some of that shit and <laughs> yeah. suddenly i'm buying like wood blocks and cowbells and things for my drums and bells and i'm like got this little rack by my hi-hat and i'm like trying to think of ways to incorporate that stuff to create additional grooves or melodies or whatever it may be and it was just like it just opened doors without overwhelming me to have like oh i need 45 drums and you know a second kick drum and it was like no clearly i don't i don't need that shit to play cool beats because for the longest time brad was playing a kick snare and floor tom and it was just like yo you're sick as fuck and all you have are those and two cowbells and you wrote this record like okay, I don't need shit. Like we can go back to the basics. We just need good grooves, mm-hmm. you know, and the way it was synced in with bass and, and the rhythm section of it all. And, and then complimenting the guitars and again, painting an awesome canvas that the singer can then just send it home with something on top of it. So thanks to those guys, I learned how to write songs as a drummer. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, here is killing in the name. Number three is Dookie. The artist is Green Day. Release here is 94. And the key track is Longview. And Mr. Trey Cool. So, uh, yeah, take right. it away, man. Hell yeah. Ironically, I was just with these guys a couple weeks ago, and they played Dookie beginning to end in this small club in Las Vegas. And it was incredible. And then I was, I was chatting with Billy Joe about it afterward and kind of reminiscing the story of the first time I heard Longview. And it just fucking, it was the first thing I heard by Green Day. I didn't know about Kerplunk. I didn't know about the early records. I, I didn't know about these bands. Again, living where I lived, the only way to find music was, it was either on the radio or a skate video or one of my friends happened to know about it, you know? And so um, that was the first song I heard. And I was just like, what is this? Like that, that verse, 
that intro, I had never heard any drumming like that before that I could recall. And that bass line, everything about that was just like, and Billy was even joking like, yeah, we've, it was very different for us. And we've really never done anything that sounds like it again, you know, but like, it was just so interesting in the way that that rhythm and the way he utilized the kit and the toms were like the whole verse, no snare. No, it's like, Oh, hang on. And then to hear that dynamic change of like when the snare finally comes in and like the beat and the guitars, it was just like, it kind of introduced me to dynamics. It introduced me to all these possibilities, you know, of exploring the space and the kit, even those little hi-hats he'd creep in during the verse. It was like, Ooh, that's really nice. How the fuck did you think to do that? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my small brain couldn't, the creativity wasn't unlocked yet. And so it was little things like that, those tiny things that made the biggest impact. And I remember like, Welcome to Paradise, the bridge in that song, it's fucking sick. It's like the dopest like punk rock bridge beat. But yet Trey Cool takes that like thing we've heard a bunch of people do and makes it fucking cooler by adding this bell accent in there. And it's like this ding, 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 ding. And it's just like, what? And like, to this day, like, I just geek out when he plays that. I'm like, that is the sickest shit. And then also, like, Dookie as a whole, you know, it was so hard to pick one song. I had to pick Longview because of all these reasons. But I mean, man, I, I learned to play fast trying to play it to these songs. It's like I was finding a lot of punk rock at the time and falling in love with it. Again, these looked like people I would hang out with when I saw the videos, it's like, wait, you look like me and my friends. Like, fuck yeah, these are my people, you know? And the lyrical content, everything, like it just was fucking felt like my friends. But yeah, just learning, like trying, attempting to keep up with Trey was so hard for me. And it really forced me to play faster. And I've been ripping off little things he's done all my life, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause he's just, He's the fucking, I love that dude's drumming. I love that band's songwriting. I love the guys, and I'm so fortunate to call them my actual friends now, which is fucking crazy to me still. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, what is life? It's just weird, man. <laughs> yeah, It's just weird. I don't get it, but <laughs> here I am. Well, speaking of the Welcome to Paradise, I uh, remember it was like maybe four or five months ago, his drum tech took a video of him playing that that groove, yep. like kind of walking from the side stage. And for the longest time, I swore that he overdubbed the ride symbol because I've tried to get those little floor floor tom things in there. Right? And I was like, oh, he he's not even doing that. Like in my head to convince myself I'm not the worst drummer <laughs> in the world. And then I saw the video and I'm like, fuck, he is doing that in real yeah, time. Yeah. What a and bastard. on the bell of a ride too. You know what I mean? Like, what? You're hitting it that accurately? And this wasn't fucking Pro Tools. This wasn't like edited like he's nailing that shit and nailing it so accurately that like fuck man like he was that first drummer for me that made drumming a little stressful but in a good way because i was loving these guys like brad and dave that don't get me wrong like i don't think like their talents but just what they laid down and their songs and their styles and stuff and it, it was like i could i could play along to a rage song or a nirvana song I couldn't play along to all the Green Day songs I wanted to do. And it was like, God damn it, man. Like, oh, this shit's too fast or it's too, I can't tell what you're doing. Like, I can't wrap my head around this. And it was frustrating, but in such a rad way that pushed me 
you know, and that bridge part specifically, I remember thinking like the same thing, like there's gotta be, that's gotta be something they added in or something, you know what I mean? But like, and then as soon as I saw that it wasn't, it was just like, yeah, no, I don't even want to like to this day, I haven't sat down and properly tried to play that. Yeah. I need to, I need to for myself. (laughs) I need to like learn that, you know, just to prove to myself that like, I, I am, you know, not as the same as when I was 16, Yeah, but who knows? It'll probably just frustrate me and, and make me feel the same way it did when I was 16. Yep. Me too. <laughs> I, I remember when I learned the, uh, all three of the fills and burnout too, especially that last one, where he kind of goes on the two going to what you were saying. It's, they're not like insanely technical, crazy parts but they're so perfect and he builds exactly. them up and the second one is a little bit crazier than the first one but then the third one ends in this open way over the bar line it's just it's perfect yeah it's so good and they would do like drum solos but it wasn't like this fucking obnoxious like here we go let the drummer's ego have his. it yeah. wasn't like that it was like no this is just proper proper and if anything they weren't doing guitar solos you know, which I kind of loved because I'm not, I love guitar, but I don't love guitar solos. Like there's a time and a place, you know, I love what, when Tom Morello does it, it's fucking like insane. When Kurt Cobain would do it, he was typically playing the melody of the song. So it just made you love the melody more because you're singing along to it, you know, but, but as a whole, I'm not the biggest guitar solo fan. Again, he driving to the point of the songwriting I loved how Trey was able to put so many notes in a song, but never stepping on the song, mm-hmm. you know? And like something like, I think Basket Case will always be just a drum flex song of just these single stroke fills that are fucking all over the place, but awesome and so consistent and tight. But it was like, hang on, like you're actually doing a fill right through like the vocal hook when you come in on the song, but yet you're not fucking it up. And it doesn't sound like you're screaming, like, look at me, look at me. This is actually what the song needed at that point. Like you found it. And in this moment, what it needed was some flash on the drums, not a basic thing, you know? And, and I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know if maybe it's from Billy Joe's played drums a lot too, and kind of has a bit of a drummer, I think approach to things and, and his songwriting, but um, somehow they just make it work. And, he can play all this incredible shit and he knows when to flex and when not to. And I couldn't think of an example where he stepped on a vocal or bombed out a song because he was flexing at the wrong time. You know, like he was just so good at that or is, I'm not, I, I don't mean that past tense yeah, at all. Yeah, exactly. He's still killing <laughs> it. Yeah. And, and yeah. speaking of basket case, I mean, I know everyone knows that song, but even just the tension he builds with the, that little, like you're talking about the, the open high hat yeah. long view, yeah. that little, I mean, it's the most iconic hi-hat bark of all time (laughs) yeah he how does he do that where it's like it becomes a drum hook to just simply throw in that little (laughs) it's like you hear him stepping on the pedal yeah yeah, sure we all do that yeah yeah none of us thought to it's like why didn't we all think of that like it seems so obvious now but he needed to do it first (laughs) um all right well here's here's longview Sit around 
right. So this is a record I I've never heard of Snot. So I'm okay. Awesome. The album Get Some. The artist is Snot. The release here's '97. The key track is I Just Lie, and Jamie mm-hmm. Miller's the drummer. So I've never I have no idea who Jamie is. So I'm really excited. So yeah. Okay. So Jamie is someone that you would would know of, but not know of um, in in that sense. So um, fast forwarding beyond that there was a band called the start and Jamie and his wife have been together in that band for ages. Snot unfortunately disbanded and and broke up after their first record because the singer Lynn passed away in a car accident, unfortunately. Mm. So it was a short lived band, really just one record. They made a second album that they had made and finished, but it Lynn passed away before doing vocals. So they had guests come on and do every song. It was like, every 90s singer you could think of was on that album. But so really they were just a one one album band. They had a very unique style at the time that was kind of, you know, they were in that era of what everybody would call new metal, but they just gave it something unique and fresh that was so, I don't know, just different. It had elements of punk rock to it. It had elements of hardcore. It had elements of a lot of funk and just all these different things. But anyway, so I'm bouncing back and forth. But so when The Used was first like starting to do our own tours, I had met Jamie and Amy because they were playing as the start. And so we brought them out on tons of our tours and just befriended them even more. Because I was like the fanboy that like the first time I saw Snot, it was literally a room with like 30 people in it. And I didn't know who they were. It was this funk festival show that only maybe 100 people came out to. But it was these random funk artists just kind of there doing solo stuff. John Frusciante was there. It was during one of his times he wasn't in the Chili Peppers um, and wasn't doing so good, but he was doing solo shows. And so me and my friends went to go see him. And all of a sudden this band comes on. We're like, wait, who is this? And like they started and everything we had been hearing that night was just funk, like just roots funk, like so rad. And like, all of a sudden snot comes on and we're like, what? And it was fucking awesome. So we like hung with the guys and talked to him afterward. And I was underage. We were at a, it was at a bar. So they had to like X up our hands was the only way they'd let us in, which was so like old school, like, you know, but it was just like that way we couldn't go near the bar. Cause you know, and um, we weren't legally supposed to be in there and it was just the raddest thing. So to get a, a chance to like befriend them properly and hang out and tour together, Jamie actually played guitar in the start and then um, did that for years. They still do stuff with the start. Um, And he was an incredible guitarist, but such a phenomenal drummer. And then now he is currently playing drums for Bad Religion. So he's been in Bad Religion ever since Brooks Wackerman left. So a lot of people that might not know Jamie Miller from Snot might know like Bad Religion's current drummer. Like that's Jamie Miller. And he's just so fucking good. But his tracks on the Snot record are so... It it took all of the elements of everything I've been talking about with these drummers and took it to a new place where, like, the way he would utilize the whole kit and the toms in beats and go from halftime to double time to just, like, the way he would do things was just so unique at the time it it was unlike anything i had heard and the way he would use us a splash the way he would use a 
the bell on his ride. It was like, whoa, what? That there? Like, what? That doesn't make any sense when he's riding on a splash symbol for like a measure or two in a verse. Like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Who would think to do that? You know, but it was just so rad. And so, and the way the guy played, it was just like, it was incredible. Like, you know, that guy that gets all the viral videos with the flame kit and it's yes, like yes, the, the dr- drummer at the wrong gig kind yeah. of thing. Like Jamie played like that long before that dude was ever long before that, but did it to like in a proper setting where he was playing this like heavy kind of metal music and just had that kind of a fucking presence. And I was like, Oh my God, look at what you can do as a showman. And that just brought me to a new level of like playing physical and, and trying to utilize the full kit for beats, whether it's the fucking rims of the toms or a splash or a china or a bell or whatever, you know, like every one of these guys just unlocked new doors for me. (laughs) And those doors became my creative house to work within, you know, and Jamie was a massive one. If you knew his drumming and, and those songs well enough, I could point out to you, like I'd sit in a car with him and show him spots like, recognize that like that's yours i ripped that off from you you know what i mean like and then it was awesome because the next start record they made he did the same thing to me and he took the beat i played on take it away exactly what you're talking about yeah and he made that almost exact with the little touches and fills he did it almost exactly the same on one of his songs on the start that he played drums on and i was like holy shit like who would have ever thought you'd be like stealing stuff from me on your record right after I stole stuff from you for my record? Like it was amazing. And I love the guy to death. He's he's the best. I highly recommend anybody check him out. Bad Religion or Snot, of course. Oh. Um, all right. Well, here's I Just Lie by Snot with Jamie on drums. Number five is uh, the shape of punk to come, the ref- or refused, nineteen ninety eight. The key track, new noise, and uh, David Sandstrom. So, take it away. I mean, I feel like the song speaks for itself. Anybody that's heard this song, it probably impacted their lives. You know what I mean? Especially if you heard it back then. I don't know that I caught wind of it. I feel like it might have been closer to two thousand by the time I actually heard this and they had been broken up for however long already and not even a band. Um, I'll never forget Quinn Allman stumbled over this somehow. This is such early weird days of internet stuff. And 
wherever we would watch. I mean, YouTube wasn't a thing. God, I sound old, but like, I guess I am. But um, <laughs> so am I. But somewhere we were online, like, and and Quinn was like, dude, like, I don't remember if he saw it before me or if we both saw it at the same time. But either way, we're in his parents' house. He pulled it up on this little computer and we watched the video to New Noise. And at the time, we were in a rut, but we didn't know that we were because all of the songs we would write for our band at the time, this is literally the transition into becoming what was the used. All of the songs we would write, every single one was us trying to play a different genre, pretty much. It was like we would have literally like a like punk song and then like a kind of new metal song and then a funk song and then like a our version of like ska reggae. And it was just like this lack of identity, but we didn't give a fuck because we were having fun and we loved all of these kinds of music. And it's like, yeah, so what? Why do we have to like pick a lane? We just want to explore the highway, you know? And when we heard New Noise, again, that opened up maybe the biggest room of all in like the creative house because it was suddenly, to see that video was just, I don't know that I've ever seen something that just hit me like a brick in the face like that. And I would love to have that same feeling again, but it was just so different, so ferocious and heavy, only seemed to get heavier, you know? And it was just like, David's drumming is so fucking good. Everything about that, I was just like, oh my God. It's not ironic in the way that the first song Quinn and I wrote when we decided to scrap everything we had been doing was maybe Memories, which has so many blatant, ripoffs or should I say like kind of tip of the hat to refused and that song you know we actually used to at one point we started going into a brief medley or like kind of a cover of it in the middle of that song live because we'd go into this bridge that was fully just like and that little guitar we were just ripping off refused we wanted to be that so badly you know but we were also like, hang on, we need to stop just trying to rip off the bands we love. We need to not try to emulate everything that is out there that is, resonates with us. We need to just throw them all in a bowl, stir it up, and let it influence what comes out. We just both seemed to be in that place where something clicked and we stopped trying to sound like other bands. And that was like the last time we were like, I wouldn't say ripping off, but heavily, heavily inspired and influenced by a song that you can hear it in the song. Because the whole way we won Bert, when we got him to write to the song, we had already written it and, and demoed it completely. And we referenced New Noise and we're like, yeah, we kind of want the vocal to come in like this. You just scream something straight into the downbeat. You know, we're like, it sounds heavy as fuck. Like, and so when we first wrote, um, maybe memories it didn't even have like the intro it like the boom and that was like the pre-chorus that was going to come in where where it does come in but it just simply started with bert singing like the as we trudge along in the mud and it just came in and then later we like evolved the song and that was really the only change we made is we brought that pre-chorus in and let that march be like the intro and then badoom you know and it was just but it, it was us that was our last like kind of there's there's times we we let songs influence us i could i could point out 
you know, a song that was inspiring every song we wrote, you know, but we weren't trying to emulate them. It just changed everything, man. It changed everything, like our approach and just realized like there's so much more out there that can be done than our little imaginations were letting us do. And we just had to let that go and stop. It was almost like we had to stop trying, which doesn't make sense, but because we put more effort than ever into our writing, but we had to do it with no objective other than to make sure we loved what we were doing. And we did for the first time. It was like, we truly loved it. And we were like, yeah, we don't really give a fuck what other people think of this. We love it. And it's ironic that the time that that truly became the approach was what resonated with people the most. Well, here is New Noise by Refused. Well, that is your that's your big fat five. Um, but it was such a pleasure talking to you. I'll, I'll uh, let people likewise. know we had some technical difficulties on my end, so uh, Brandon was insanely gracious and patient. So I appreciate <laughs> that, man. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you, thank you. This has been fun. Yeah, man. I wanted to say too, the one time I think maybe I've seen you more than once, but the most memorable time was when uh, the used opened up for Boxcar at the Paramount Theater in uh. Seattle. And I remember it was four songs into your guys' set. And I don't know if you remember this, but someone broke the floor and you guys had to oh, walk yeah. off stage. And then yeah. it ended up being to the point where like set times, you guys, you know, Bert just came out and was like, I'm sorry, guys, we're done. We can't finish the set. Um, Cause he's like, and then it became this whole thing. Like what fat ass broke the stage or broke the floor <laughs> in the mosh pit for everyone knowing. And the, the Paramount yeah. theater yeah. is this huge 3000 cap theater. And someone just like fell through the floor and you guys had to stop. It was <laughs> I totally so funny. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I totally forgot about that, but I remember that well. Oh Absolutely. my God. It was, that I was, was such a great tour. 
that was so much fun. And it was what H two O was. I think the first of three. Yep. And you guys were direct support. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wish I could have seen more of you guys play, but yeah, actually, I think I saw Rancid play. Um, I saw maybe I saw did Rancid tour with uh, the Transplants a few years ago. Um, yeah. So yeah. maybe yeah, I yep. think I saw you with tra- Travis open up with Tra. Yeah. So I I've seen you more okay. than once. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that Rad, one was Rad. the time I was like, my God, that's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> broke, right? broke the theater such a weird reason to have to stop i know the floor is giving away for the crowd like holy shit and also knowing 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 routing too it's like you guys probably were in were in portland drove up to seattle they were gonna go back down to utah it's like to come up all the way to seattle for like three songs was like damn it yeah you know i'm sure it was yeah. frustrating for more than one reason but as a fan it was memorable at least <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man well i appreciate it thank you so much i appreciate the kind words i appreciate that very much yeah man well um i'll talk to you soon dude and it was it was great to meet you man rad sounds great nice to meet you cheers dude okay have a good one later you, bye Alrighty, this week's big fat favorite is from Sheridan Riley. Sheridan plays with the band Always. And their pick is the album The Runners 4. The release here is 2005. The artist is Deerhoof. The key track is Twin Killers. And Greg Saunier is the drummer. So here's what Sheridan had to say. Greg and Deerhoof as a whole had a psychedelic effect on me, to be perfectly honest. It sounded familiar, yet entirely alien. The one would shift mysteriously, yet I was still headbanging. Nothing landed where I thought it would, and it was very thrilling. Greg's relationship with time inspired my young ears. It felt tense, yet melodic. His press rolls and the places he would choose to crash felt like guitar feedback to me. Chaotic, but also organized. Then I learned that he has a master's degree in composition, is a multi-instrumentalist and mastering engineer, and loves Charlie Watts. My life changed. All right, here is Twin Killers.
that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.